have your Bible, I want to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll be reading from there in just a couple minutes. Uh, so b- back in January, I was out in uh, Southern California for a conference, and I was flying back. And long story short, I ended up flying. I ended up, I was able to catch an earlier flight, but I had to fly standby. And then I had to get a middle seat, and it's like, uh, but I'm getting home earlier, and so I did it. And so I get in, I sit down, and on the window seat is this young woman, probably you know, uh, mid late twenties, and. Uh, uh, as we're chit-chatting a little bit, as if you know, Kate going off and in our flight, um, I discover she's a flight attendant who actually works for American Airlines, which is the flight I was on. And she's flying. We're connect, going to Dallas, so we're connecting. So she's actually going home. That's her home base. She had been in Southern California visiting family, and uh, so we're talking and just kind of you know telling stories and stuff like that about our lives. And um, as you might expect from someone her age who's, um, you know, a flight attendant, that, you know, she's pretty well traveled, uh, been around the world, seen sites that many people live an entire lifetime and never see. Uh, she's also a pretty adventurous. She's had some really great experiences. Um, skydiving, uh, which is not on my bucket list, but, but again, for somebody like that, there's things that she's done and accomplished and, you know, it was just, uh, uh, just pretty impressive to see what this young, young woman had, had accomplished, things she'd done at, in this stage of her life. And in fact, I remember saying to her, says, you live quite a life for someone so young. And uh, her response, though, really caught me off guard. Her responded this way. She said, perhaps, too bad I don't have anyone to share it with. And I thought that was very, very telling. And in fact, three to four times during our conversation, she made a comment that let me know in no uncertain terms that she wanted to be married more than anything else in the world. That was the thing that was missing in her life. And she wasn't even shy about telling me, really a virtual stranger, um, about this lack that she perceived in her life. In fact, she even said that she just recently broke up with her boyfriend of two years because he wasn't wanting to get married yet. Um, and so she broke off the relationship. Now, even to this day, I think about this young woman, and uh, I feel sad for her. Now, I don't feel sad because she's not married. I, I, I mean, I, that's, not my, that's not the cause of why I feel sad. I feel sad because that was so much positive in her life. The only thing she could see was her singleness. Nothing else really mattered for her. Now, the reality is I've discovered that this young woman isn't alone in her quest to find a significant other. Today, I found a couple of statistics that were very telling. Today, there's approximately 1,500 dating apps and websites. 1,500 all seeking to match men and women. In, uh, in 2020, so two years ago, there was 44 there's more than 44 million users of these da- online dating services. And that number is expected to rise to over 53 million in the next couple of years. That's a lot of people looking to find that special someone in their life, isn't it? And the numbers are only going to get bigger in the years ahead. In 2021, the percentage of adults in the U.S. living with a spouse was only 50%. And that was, that's down from 52% just 10 years ago. So that number continues to go down 
in our country. In the year 2020, 37% of all U.S. households were either one-person or single-parent households. 37%. Also in 2021, over 37 million adults lived alone, which is up from 33 million 10 years prior. Now, according to the census figures, the largest chunk of American households now consist of people who live alone. All I thought was very, very telling. <clears throat> With the increase in the divorce rate, you know, and the, the, the increase in the age at which people now get married, and our increasing longevity in life, we're living longer. Being single is now one of the most widely shared experiences of adulthood. Now, you would think, with this fast-growing rate of singleness, one would think that churches would do a better job um, of connecting with people who are single. Now, the sad truth is that churches often get it wrong. Mostly, I think, this is my own opinion, mostly due to traditional perspectives that continue to linger within our thinking, the way we think about being single. Now, it's often led to some awkward... Yeah, even sometimes painful encounters. We came across the video that we thought you would enjoy. It's a little humorous, but it actually kind of points to this issue on what some single people encounter, particularly within our churches. How are you still single? There's someone out there for you. Jesus is your boyfriend now. Meet and greet's coming up. You know what to do. The key is to act like you don't care. It happens when you don't expect it. Who are you bringing to the wedding? If I was a girl, I'd date you. Who can we set you up with? Sorry, couples only. Have you tried internet dating? She looks single. You know who else wasn't married? Paul. All single ladies. All single ladies. Come on. Happens when you're not looking. Work on your smile. He's single. You know who else wasn't married? Jesus. It's okay to be a fifth wheel. Maybe if you give God one of your ribs, he'll give you a wife. You should change your Facebook profile picture. You know who else wasn't married? Matthew. No, he was married. You should meet my cousin. Just pray about it. Pray harder. This series is on marriage. You don't need to pay attention. You're not that old yet. You can't settle. You know, you might want to think about settling. There's plenty of fish in the sea. We're going to celebrate not having Valentine's Day. If she says, you're like my best friend, that's bad. You should try Overflow. Maybe she can see you tithe. You know, when you have a wife, you can't play as much Xbox. You should get a dog. Have you asked Jesus for a wife? Are you on Christian Mingle? Have you? Have you tried this? This looks good. I have a great book for you to read. It's called The Bible. Jesus is your girlfriend now. Dude, you have to get someone hot because you're going to be married to them forever. You are going to make such a cool aunt. It's not about you. You know, there's no marriage in heaven. It's all about you. I don't know. Is he a Christian? It's about Jesus. I know people who got married when they were like 70, okay? You're fine. Marriage is like a sandwich. It takes a long time. You're not going to meet your husband at a bar. Do you want to be Jim and Pam or do you want to be Ross and Rachel? For it is better to be unmarried. See? All the married people are laughing. <laughs> All the single people are like, going, oh, that's painful. Now, this clip was obviously intended to be humorous, um, but the simple fact is there is a tension that does exist um, between, often between uh, single people and married couples within a, a church. Married folks often don't know how to relate to singles, and some singles feel like they're on the wrong side of the wall, and they really can't connect 
with what's happening in the lives of couples. So the question is, is how can we learn more about each other so we can better support and encourage one another? So in response to this, we've come up with a two-week series that we've called Help Me. Next week is Help Me, I'm Married. Today is Help Me, I'm Single. Now, I have to put out a disclaimer here. Um, most of you know that at Grace Covenant, the, the outline that's in your worship guide uh, is the same outline that's at the other campuses. So we all preach from the same outline. We all set it up differently. We all develop it differently. But it follows the same outline. One person usually writes the outline, and then we, every Tuesday morning, uh, there's a team of 10 of us that meet, so three campus pastors, as well as seven others. Kate's part of that team. Um, just to get diversities of perspectives and opinions and input and different things. We go over that outline and then make changes and edits and kind of nuance it until you get to what you actually see in your worship guide of today. I wrote today's outline for this sermon. Okay? So, that might seem a bit odd, being that I've been married for more than 38 years. Um, not only that, um, I got married right out of college. And during my four years of college, I had a roommate. And prior to going to college, I shared a bedroom with my brother. I've never even had my own bedroom, <laughs> let alone lived alone as a single person. Okay, so let me confess that right up front. Um, because the obvious question is, all right, how am I qualified to give a sermon on being single here? Um, two things. One is that I think for me, part of, all right, what does the Bible say? If the Bible is to help us through life, what does the Bible say about the topic? So I can talk about that, and I can do it as an objective, you know, not about, I don't have to, I can tell what that looks like. The other part of it is, and this is part of my background, part of my interest, part of how I'm wired, is um, I did research, um, and I did interviews. So I actually talked to a lot of single people, to get their input. And essentially my question, I asked a number of different things, but a lot of it came down to one question. What would be helpful for you to hear in a sermon about being single? And uh, so what follows then um, is a combination of what I found in Scripture and what I've heard from some of these interviews and from these other other people. And also just to be, uh, again, let you know, I talked to people from all three campuses, Um, and so I also talked to people who have never been married. I've talked to people who once were married but now aren't um, for various reasons, and so it's, I got quite a, a variety of, of background. Now, the first thing I need to address in talking about this is there's three myths that are out there, and so let me address those first. Um, <clears throat> they're very common perceptions that are held by many today. The first myth is this. Marriage, the, the myth is that marriage is the only God-ordained lifestyle. That's a myth. Some people think that God's preference is always for people to get married. And that's just not true. Singleness is scriptural, and <laughs> as it was jokingly pointed out in the video, but it is biblical, both Jesus and Paul were single. The two most influential people in the New Testament were single. In fact, Jesus made this comment in, in uh, Matthew chapter 19. <clears throat> he says, For there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And then he says this, And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And then he says something that's even more, I think, a little provocative in this case. The one who can accept this should accept it. In other words, 
it's okay. Don't fight it. This is the life that, 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 uh, that is before you. Paul talked extensively about this subject, and I'm going to get into that a little bit further on um, because it, it does come into play as I talk a bit more. But with regard to this first myth, again, we've got Jesus and Paul, two most influential people in the entire Bible. Both were advocates for singleness. So it's a myth to think that marriage is the only God-ordained lifestyle, okay? So that's the first myth. The second myth is this, marriage equals happiness. Okay, so why are all the married people laughing at that? <laughs> so you all need to come back next week when you talk about to help me, I'm married. That's funny. Here's the thing. Our culture, it's not even just in the churches, our culture reinforces the idea that if we just find the right person, we'll be happy. In fact, it's so, that's so prevalent. The idea is out in our culture that even if you're married, you should leave your current marriage if you find someone else who will make you even happier, right? I mean, that's the thing. There's no qualms about leaving this because that someone else will make us happier. Here, the simple fact is why this is a myth is that some married people are miserable, Right? The truth is that happiness is an emotional feeling based on current circumstances, and it can never last. No one person, no one person can bring you long-term happiness. True long-term contentment only comes from Jesus. I am quoting from the video unintentionally. I didn't realize he was going to say that. But it does. True long-term contentment only comes from Jesus, and it doesn't depend on anyone else. Paul, again, writing in Philippians chapter 4, he, again, he's, he, Paul, who is single, says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And then he's talking to those who think that the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. And in 1 Corinthians in chapter 7, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, it says, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. And I think the same would apply to women as well. It's a myth to think that marriage is the only way to happiness. Okay? <clears throat> it's also a myth to think that marriage produces intimacy while singleness produces loneliness. Similar to this myth of happiness, some people believe that if you're single, you must be lonely, and if you're married, then you're never lonely. And again, there are many singles who are not lonely, and there are many married people who are. Again, no one person, no one person is designed to meet your deepest needs. Only Christ can do that. That's why Paul, in his letter to the, the, in Hebrews, he says, be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So there's three myths that still, to this day, often find their way into life among Christ followers. However, if we recognize that these are myths, that these are, these beliefs, these presuppositions really aren't, um, we shouldn't hold them, it should we have a better idea where what does the Bible say then? We have a better idea, we're better able, better position to actually accept and understand what's being said. So in his letter to the Christ followers in Corinth, Paul talks a lot about this idea of single. In fact, specifically in first uh, first Corinthians chapter seven, 
um, he gives this entire chapter uh, to this idea of singleness. And so I picked a few verses here to kind of set the context for what I want to share here after this. So if you have your Bible or your app or whatever you're reading from or the screen, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, reading with verse 32 through 35. <clears throat> so Paul says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you for these words of Paul, and uh, Lord, just pray for your grace in these next few moments. Let's talk about uh, this issue, and we, we dig a little deeper in what Paul is saying here, uh, Father, that uh, I would be able to communicate well, um, clearly, but Lord, more so that your spirit would um, cause each person to hear what they need to hear, and Father, that you would guide uh, the rest of our time here in the next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> So in these verses here, I just read four verses, and in the chapter as a whole, so all of chapter seven, marriage is validated. So Paul's not against marriage. Marriage is validated, um, but he does hold singleness up as being a little more advantageous. There is some things he's saying as an advocate of being single that do you have some things that you can do that, that married people can't. Paul recognizes that not everyone is equipped for marriage and that everyone is called to singleness. Okay, so it's not good or bad, right or wrong. There are strengths and challenges with each one. But in this chapter, um, while not long compared to other topics, Paul is crystal clear about being single. And for me, the most obvious thing he said to all single people is that you need to see your singleness as good. In fact, he uses, in, in, throughout, in three different places in that chapter, he uses the word good. In verse 1, he says, it is good for a man and a woman to not marry. In verse 8, he says, now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. And in verse 26, he says, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Three different times he uses the word good in talking about being single. Um, some of you who are old enough may remember, or some of you, if you're even younger, may have uh, gone back and seen this movie, Jerry Maguire, came out in uh, 1996. Um, huge, huge success at the box office. Um, now, uh, he's a sports agent, and so that's the primary story going through, but there's one of the secondary stories, or sub-stories running through it, is this kind of this romantic tension between Jerry Maguire, Tom Cruise, and his administrative assistant, who is Renee Zellweger. And so all throughout it, they're kind of just this romantic tension. Well, they end up actually getting married uh, in the movie. And uh, Tom Cruise, his priorities are very misplaced, and he just makes a mess of everything, and they separate. Um, and then almost at the very end of the movie, I mean, probably just five minutes left, you know, that um, he realizes the errors of his ways, and so he goes back to, to find, goes to her house, and or goes to their house. He had actually, I think, had moved out temporarily. And uh, a very moving scene. In fact, if you watch, I remember it brought tears to my eyes. It's very, very powerful. 
Um, and he goes back and ends up there's a room full of women, all of her friends. They're all hating him. But he walks in and has to talk in front of them to her. And he says three words in order to win her back. You remember what those are? You complete me. Very powerful moment in the movie. Very, very wrong in reality. <laughs> it isn't. It is just wrong. It's, it's, <laughs> it's as wrong as it can be. One of the things we get from Paul is that to be single means you are complete. And you have the ability to function alone. You are a whole person. The key to a good marriage is not to find your other half to complete you. The key to a good marriage is to come into a relationship as a whole person who is ready to unite with another whole person. Now, I'm not ignorant to the fact that there can be periods of loneliness while being single. And that's very real. And that can be very, very profoundly painful and can be hurtful. I, I, I in no way am trying to gloss over that reality. But never ever, ever confuse loneliness with insufficiency. Singleness is not a deficiency. It's not some disease that needs to be cured. You're not incomplete because you're not married. Being single is honorable and totally acceptable to God. Now, let me be clear about this. We may not always get this right here at Grace Covenant, but you got to trust our hearts are too. Okay? So we need single people in our midst. We need to hear your voice. We need to hear what you have to say. We need to have what you have to offer. We need you. And so when we get it wrong, and I say when because it's, it, it happens, you need to tell us. You need to let us know. Saying, hey, when you did this, when you planned this event, here's how it affected me. When you did this, let us know that because trust our heart that we're trying to get it right. We just made a mistake. And say, all right, let's reshape this in a way that we can make you make it so there. So we need you. We're better because you're here. I want to make that really clear. We, you, and, and we need you. But Paul is very clear in this that you need to see your singleness as good. I think the second thing that Paul talks about, he says, says you need to see your singleness as a gift. Verse 7, he says, I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. When he's talking about this gift from God, it's the same word that Paul uses in the prior chapters, in chapters 12 through, I'm sorry, future chapters 12 through 14, when he's talking about spiritual gifts. These are the spiritual gifts that God gives us. Same word he's using here in the gift of singleness or the gift of marriage. Um, are gifts from the Lord as well. So what this means is that if you're single today, you have the gift of singleness. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have this gift for your entire life, your whole life. But right now, in this season, in this moment, God has given you this gift. In that regard, don't compare yourself to others where they're at in their life. Be content with your gift. Celebrate your singleness, whether it's temporary or whether it's permanent. Live a life that's un, in, of, live a life of undivided devotion to the Lord. 
Don't start, don't, I'm sorry, don't wait to start living. Um, one of the young uh, women I, I talked to was single, um, I won't, you, you will know her, so I won't give you her name because uh, she was part of our congregation. She made this comment about being single. She said, enjoy the ride, follow God and his design for your life. See singleness as a gift. Lastly, Paul says that you need to see your singleness as a way to bring glory to God. Listen, I'm fully aware of some of the unique challenges that exist for single people. Um, <laughs> what's interesting, none of the people I, none of the com- one of the comments I heard back more than once from uh, people in some of my conversations was one of their biggest challenges on, here coming to church is where do I sit on Sunday and who do I sit with? You know, it's funny, as a married person, I never think about that. You know, Betsy and I can sit wherever. Of course, she actually started sitting in the empty spots, you know, because there's so few people just to fill in the spaces here. It's not because we're having marriage uh, problems here. (laughs) But I never thought about that. I mean, since I've been married, I've never had to think, you know, who am I going to sit with? But that is an issue. For, that's a, I mean, that's an issue. It's a question. So who am I going to sit with? Where am I going to sit? And little things like that. So, and that, that's a very simple one. I mean, I, so I recognize that. And, I, and I've, I'm aware that life can be lonely at times. And I'm aware that finances can be tighter with only one income source. And I can't even begin to adequately address the challenges for single parents. Okay. I get that. I mean, there, there, there's, there's, there's no doubt that there are some unique challenges there. That being said, because there isn't a spouse, and because in some cases there aren't kids in the picture, a single person does have some advantages when it comes to serving Jesus. Generally speaking, again, I realize there's exceptions to everything, but generally speaking, as described by Paul in this chapter, a single person has fewer pressures. We see that in verse 26. They have fewer complications in life. We see that in verse 28. And they have fewer preoccupations. See that in verse 32. Because of this, Paul encourages people who are single to use your gifts, your abilities, and your time to bring glory to God and to serve others. Now, the reality is, ultimately, whether you're single or married, it's not about you anyway, is it? Each of us is here for God's purposes, for his glory, and for the good of others. Our challenge is to find our place in that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for all that you're doing. And I'm, these words from Paul actually aren't very many in the scheme of things, but yet they're very profound. And my prayer, Lord God, is that each of us, uh, for those of us who are married, would have a new awareness and sensitivity to those among us who are single, um, and Father, I have no doubt that, that uh, all feel welcomed or should feel welcomed, that our intent is to make everyone feel welcome. But Lord, help us to be aware of just some of those simple realities. That something simple as, hey, come sit with me. Come sit next to me today or whatever that might be. Um, Lord, help us to be more sensitive as a church to those among us who are single, uh, to their unique needs and challenges, that we could love on them and support them, encourage them in life, um, and that, uh, Lord, you would be very real and close to them. Father, I'm just, again, so very thankful for all the people you've brought here to be among us, to be part of our 
of our community of faith. And uh, Lord, whether we're single, whether we're married, uh, Father, you've called each one of us to be a part of something significant here. So Lord, help us. Help us, Lord God, to find that path, to live for you and not for ourselves, to serve others and not ourselves. So God, we again just give this day to you and we trust you for all things. We give our lives to you, Lord. And we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.